Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Eric, and with me is Kiwi and BP. Hello. Hi. Today we're going to be playing Cape May, designed by Eric Masso. The artist is um, Michael Menzel of Dominion, Stone Age, Shogun, Catan, many more. And it was published in 2021 by Thunderworks Games. The description, in Cape May, players traverse the city streets as entrepreneurs, developing property while building wealth over four seasons to earn prestige, build cottages, develop them into Victorian homes, and upgrade them into historic landmarks, establish shops and grow them into profitable businesses, carefully move around the city and make strategic use of activity cards. Complete bonus goals, then take some time to relax and spot wildlife in the best place for birdwatching in the northeastern U.S. Whoever best balances their income, development, movement, personal goals, and I'm going to add in looks at more birds, will go down in history as the most successful developer in Cape May. The mechanics are action points, area majority influence, hand management, point-to-point, point-to-point movement, set collection, solo, solitaire game. And the box art, very colorful. It's got a, a big, uh, big red white house or big red lighthouse that's overlooking very... the, the seaside. Yeah, Victorian dress with Victorian houses. A Victorian early 1900s. Looks like that woman's almost feeding a seagull. Like, I just, why would you feed a seagull? All right. Uh, based on all this, would you pull it off a shelf? Um, I mean, the art does look interesting. Um. Uh, you know, development. It se- sounds like kind of maybe an economic styled game, uh, but it sounds like we're doing some drafting, maybe Ooh, point to point movement set collection. Yeah, so we're gonna have some cards, area majority. Yeah, I guess I pull it off. It's it's interesting, especially at this time of year, kind of beachy. Yeah. Uh, Kiwi. Yeah, I think I would. I've actually been interested in it because Thunderworks Games makes a lot of games that we really enjoy. Uh, I don't think we've played one yet that we didn't particularly care for. Uh, role player, role player adventure, mm-hmm. lockup, mm-hmm. cartographers. Uh, so I was interested because this isn't in that same universe. This is something completely different from what they usually make. And so I'm pretty interested in where it's going to go and how it's going to play. Yep. That's why I added it to the list is because it was, th- I was like, oh, Thunderworks, we've pretty much owned all their games. I wonder what a yeah, non fantasy one would be like. So threw it on the list. And I like the box art a lot. It has like a, a really cool look to it. Um, uh, descriptions, interesting. Like it's a little bit more economic y sounding than I thought it would be. But um, I guess we're kind of hit, hit or miss on those kind of games. Some of them are a little bit too dry and but you know we have raccoon tycoon that we like so yeah i think it all depends on how the economics piece is implemented yeah i do like the i mean and that kind of goes into how it's played it sounds like we sort of move around sounds kind of neat yeah well are are we in that phase are we talking about it what else you got got some ideas I got some ideas. Okay. So I I think it's almost even more than you walk up to a shop and you develop it. Like, I think like we're going to be getting like Cape May is really starts to develop obviously in the, you know, 19th century. I won't get too much into the history, but I think it's going to 
I'm hoping it's more along the lines where we actually do have a map and we have areas of maps that we're trying to control. So we want like Main Street, right? Because mm-hmm. that's where everybody's going to like go shopping. But you also probably want like your beach resort where everybody's going to pay the most, right? For those types of things. But I mean, we have set collection as well as hand management. And it sounded like we're going to have our own personal goals. So like maybe we want to be the person with the most... um beachside resorts or the most restaurants uh, type of thing. And you can get like bonus points for those types of goals. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. What's the set collection you um, think that? Probably what you kind of said, like set, maybe okay. your set is like beach prop, beachside property or it's type of things like you want houses or shops of certain kinds of shops and things. Kind of thinking, um, uh, Santa Monica. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think mm-hmm. it'll look a lot different, but I'm kind of getting that sort of same idea of like, you're doing sets of different, you know, are you going to mm-hmm. go for tourist stuff? Are you going to go for shops? Are you going to go for um, birds? Seagulls. What kind of birds are we looking at? Oh, so, well, I can tell you if you're ready for history. Oh, is that this is the history of birds of Cape May? Uh, not necessarily. No. no, I'm sad. Um, so the original inhabitants, uh, were part of the larger Lenape tribe, um, and they were first exposed to Europeans around 1600. Uh, the town itself, the area itself is named after a Dutch captain, Cornelius Jacobson, Maine, who explored the area in the early 1600s and claiming it as Europeans did, uh, for the new Netherlands. Uh, later, New Englanders came up from the New Haven colony and settled it as well. It did become, as you guys uh, and kind of as the box alludes to and as you uh, Kiwi also alluded to, it did become a uh, big um popular destination actually as early as the 1700s people from philadelphia actually versus new york um but by the late uh, 1800s would definitely see more and more tourists and especially from the new york area but again uh from many uh, other places along the east coast um and especially after 1863 when the railroad um was created the Tuckahoe and Cape May Railroad. So especially to connect people from those larger cities uh, to the area. Um, And it actually to this day has the second largest um, Victorian structures after San Francisco. Uh, which is interesting because both cities have suffered humongous fires because, right, Victorian houses are usually all wood. And I mean, San Francisco itself, right, earthquakes and such. Um, uh, but the fire destroyed about uh, 35 buildings in the uh, 1860s in Cape May. Um, and so, yeah, there was this restoration project in the late 1870s to actually rebuild it. So maybe that's what we're doing and uh, definitely looking for uniformity in Victorian style. So um, really trying to upsell itself as this destination with these right um, very kind of cookie cutter in the Victorian era of, you know, homes and a destination for, for arts and culture and beach and, um, 
at the time, what I'd be interested in, and I didn't get this in the research that I had done briefly, but if the bathing culture was also very typical of the 19th century, and they still have some of those bathing houses uh, that were very popular in the 19th century because, right, women... um, they had these big elaborate clothing and then they would go into these bathing houses to change. They still put on like these pretty elaborate wool clothing. I cannot imagine getting into the water with wool. That's just going to be weighted down. Um, But that's how the bathing costumes were. And of course the women did not necessarily go out swimming. In fact, some of the early swimmers, uh, female swimmers were, Definitely pretty controversial for that, um, and especially some of their bathing suits that they would then eventually wear, but I won't get into to that. Nowadays, it is known, especially for its lighthouse. There's also, it was very popular during World War II, um, beefed up because of, again, its geographical location um, uh, for different training posts throughout World War II. So it's got a World War II uh, lighthouse, its famous lighthouse. Um And it's also got a famous um, estate that has been refurbished along Franklin Street. It sounds like Lafayette and Franklin Street were also home in the mid-1800s to strong uh, abolitionist activity. So not just a Victorian destination and not just now a bird migration destination, but in the 1840s and 50s, before the actual Civil War started, was a hotbed of abolitionist activities and, in fact, hosts the Harriet Tubman Museum that just opened recently. And 2020 was its virtual launch with a uh, open to the public in 2021 because apparently uh, she had spent some time there in the 1850s working as a, a cook and a cleaning person uh, while trying to raise money, of course, for her other endeavors and the Underground Railroad. Uh, what year was that fire again, you said? 1869, I want to say. Give me a second. Yes. Do you think that matches the clothing that's kind of on the cover? Uh, or do you think this is much later? I feel like it's later. I do feel like it's later. The 1860s had usually much bigger hoops. This is much later, um, closer to the 1890s and 1900s. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking that just because... Uh, you. The, I think you had said when you mentioned that, like, oh, maybe we're rebuilding Cape May mm. Vice, like, you know, building it out the first time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe we're just building it. Yeah. All right. There you go. Cape May, apparently tourist destination, abolitionist activity, and not just a human tourist, but also bird tourists. Yeah. All right, so uh, we are entrepreneurs trying to develop Cape May and build our wealth like good little capitalists. We'll gain prestige from buildings where they're built, upgrades, bonuses, birds, and money. The player with the most prestige is the winner. The first player is the one who most recently visited a beach. And I guess this then gets into the definition of what do we define as a beach? Does it just need to be at a sandy portion next to the ocean? Can it be next to any water feature? When we were at the bay. Oh, and then we were all at the river. Right. And that's what that's what I'm saying. Oh. Well, are you counting the river? Well, that's that's my question. Does that count as a beach? I don't think the river counts as a beach. Okay. We were at the bay. I think the bay, and I think you were the last to leave the beach. 
All right, so the game lasts for four seasons with each season lasting four rounds and each round is made up of the same three steps. So we're gonna reveal an event card. So all rounds except for the first, we're gonna reveal the top card of the event deck uh, and read it, read it aloud. Some will take immediate effect when revealed, others will have a lasting effect until the start of the next round. If the event has a penalty and the player cannot pay all of it, they pay as much as they can and then discard movement cards to make up the difference. It's still, if it's still not paid completely, they ignore whatever the remainder is. So that's the first part. Second part is we take actions. So starting with the first player and moving clockwise around the table, each player takes three actions. An action can be performed multiple times. So you can play a movement card. So play a movement card from your hand and move its full amount. You cannot move through a space more than once and you cannot return to the space you started on. Some movement spaces are one way and they'll be marked on the map, and spaces can be shared with any number of players. If the final space has a free action on it, uh, you can. if it has a bird, then you collect bird tokens from the bag, uh, totaling the number shown on the space. If it has a lighthouse, you can pay $5 to build a cottage or shop anywhere on the board instead of its, uh, instead of its normal cost. Or if it has a pier, uh, you can draw three activity cards, keep two, and discard one. Your next uh, action, uh, so play movement cards is the first one. The next one is build. So you can build a cottage or a shop on a lot adjacent to the player's marker. So you pay the cost on your player board and then place either a shop on a hexagonal shape or a cottage on a square shape. Then increase the player's income based on what was built and the zone it was built on. So there's, uh, I think it's sand, dirt and concrete. And it's like, as you get further away from the water, mm -hmm. uh, it kind of changes and uh, stuff is worth differently based on uh, where you build it. Uh, then you can upgrade. So for a cottage or a Victorian mini or a shop adjacent to the player's marker, you can pay the cost on the player board and then upgrade it. A cottage becomes a Victorian house and a Victorian house becomes a landmark and a shop just becomes a business. Uh, then increase the player's income, except for landmarks. And if they upgraded a business, they also gain an upgrade card. Um, they will gain either the current face up upgrade or drawing two from the deck, keeping one and discarding the other. Upgrades may provide an immediate effect, a one-time use action, a once per round action, or an ongoing effect or an end of game bonus. And then finally, you can draw an activity card as your, uh, sorry as one of the actions. Uh, you can draw two activity cards, keep one and discard the other. You can play an activity card as an action. You can play an activity card from your hand and take the action listed. You can retrieve your movement cards. So we all have the same movement cards and they're in our hand. When you use them, you discard them. At some point you have to get them all back. So that will cost you an action to get them all back. And then finally, you can collect money and just get $3 from the supply. Uh, so that's the second part of each round. And then the last part is we advance the lighthouse. Uh, if it's not the 12th round, which is the last round, move the lighthouse min miniature one space clockwise, remove any fire tokens from the game board, give the first player to the next clockwise player. At the end of spring, which is round three, summer, which is round six, and fall, which is round nine, each player draws two activity cards and gains money equal to their income. At the end of the 12th round, we're not going to do income, but each player reveals their bonus cards and any bird tokens collected. They then move their income marker to the zero space and count their prestige. Prestige is gained through uh, from Victorian homes and landmarks based on your, their zone, having the most or second most buildings in a particular zone type. From end of game bonus upgrade cards, a collection of non-matching birds. There are seven, seven different birds 
uh, including some wilds, like a hot air balloon. Uh, and then bonus cards, and then one point for every $10 you have remaining. The player with the most prestige is the winner, with the tie going to the player with the most bird tokens. And if it's still tied, then the player with the highest income is the winner. Hot air balloon is not a bird. Right. That's why it's a wild. Well, let's play. We just finished a game of Cape May. To recap, Kiwi had 52 not bird points. <laughs> uh, BP had 61 beachfront points. And uh, I had 73 gravelly well, dirt points. I would, I would also go with landmark points. Oh, <laughs> landmark points, yeah. Yeah, uh, strategy. Um I guess my strategy was to uh, get shops early so I had good income because I figured the earlier you build them, the more return you get in value on them, right? Yeah. Get more income phases. And then at the end, focusing. And then obviously I had two bonus cards that were kind of similar and I could focus on two zones, the gravel zone and the dirt zone. And so I just did that. And so I didn't have to really worry about the other stuff. And then those comboed well. Um, yeah, I just I went with my bonus cards and just started doing that because it mm -hmm, gave me a place mm -hmm. to start from. But I think you're right. I think building the businesses is probably a good, at least for the first couple of rounds, just get some get good businesses income. to like, yeah, start bringing in that income. Well, I think like in my case, like they, it worked well with the bonus cards because I had to build some businesses anyway. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start with those and then switch to the houses a little bit later. But yeah. Which is interesting because I think one of my cards I had originally drawn was businesses, but I was like, I don't want to go business. And then like I ended up with all these businesses yeah, and I, oh, yeah. whatever. I mean, kind of along the same lines, although I uh, did want to go for a bird spot first and I ended up with the most bird cards. So I was kind of also into the birds. Yeah, I did not. I did not see a bird till the end. So I was very focused on my buildings. But yeah. I think, yeah, yeah, BP and I pretty much had the same strategy. She had a lot of. We we're kind of even on income, and then you just sort of targeted the beachfront, and I was going more a, a zone back. But yeah, yep. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was just going to say, I almost feel like the best strategy, even for any of the cards, is to focus on a zone and then, like you know, uber develop it. Almost again, kind of like a monopoly. But I mean, yeah. it kind of depends because like Kiwi's card was go to each zone. Mm hmm. So it kind of depends on your cards, I guess. But I would I would definitely try to get the bonuses that are focused on a zone because that seems to just be more beneficial. Yeah, because mm -hmm. you could focus on that zone, which gives you majority and all that kind of yep. stuff. So, mm -hmm. yep. yeah. Uh, theme, did you feel like you were uh, building up Cape May? Keep you know, I felt like I was definitely building up a city. And I, I felt like with the event cards being very thematic to and like having the extra information about things that happened to Cape May... Like, I felt like I was rebuilding a city. Uh, and it, you know, maybe it's Cape May. I've never been, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I thought the theme was good. I might need to put it on a bucket list now. I'm going to Cape May. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's a bird migration place yeah. in fall. That sounds pretty. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I would say the theme was good. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I mean, I think like most, a lot of things, it could be kind of rethemed as anything, but um, well, not anything. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it does a good job of like uh, you feel like you're building it up. Um, 
like even the little things like the little bird things just to have an extra objective but it mm-hmm. kind of fit with you know what, what we know about cape may um and just i kind of liked for kind of an economic game just the moving around the map and that whole like piece of you know i don't know if you really need to stand next to the thing you're constructing but um yeah uh but i don't know i, th- I think it worked pretty well it's like a fun fun theme on top and then all like the little history cards and the events mm-hmm. and you know, I think BP and the history talked about catching on fire and then it was on fire like the first half of the game. <laughs> it's a sort of fit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with all of that. I think, to the way uh, kind of melding into the next uh, topic as well with table presence, I feel like that theme and the t- table presence, right, uh, the, the way that that really brought it together. So, yeah, it's this capitalist economics almost monopoly styled type of game but in a obviously a way more aesthetically pleasing with different mechanics sort of game i understand but like i I feel like if you told people it was kind of about building up right your your streets and things that might be what they went through but like there's so many more options, right? And, and so much more pleasant to just it like, is. oh, I'm gonna build a lovely beach house, like instead of I'm gonna crush these people with my monopoly. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Because I'll be honest, like I did not look to see how much points were worth uh for the landmark on the beach. I was just like, you know what? This was the first Victorian that we built on the beach. I feel like it should be a landmark. Mm-hmm. And I made it a landmark. <laughs> yeah. I, I just got it towards the end of the game, like got stuck in that corner. So I was just like, make it around the corner and yeah. upgrade, make it around the corner and upgrade. But yeah. I thought on my last year, I had a gravel landmark and then I built one across the street and I was like, you know, I'm going to make this a landmark, too, because people are definitely going to show up if you got two landmarks across oh, the street yeah. from each other. That's like an Instagram spot. So I'm definitely going to say, yeah, that's a picture <laughs> yeah. spot for sure. It's like the Abbey Road crosswalk. Like people are just going to be in there blocking the traffic trying yeah. to take pictures. I've created a miserable spot that I personally would like to go to. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, all, all the locals actively <laughs> avoid it. Um. What I think about table presence is obviously, right, we're not obviously, but if you don't know, listeners, we're playing virtually right now, Tabletopia. I I really want to see this in person. Like, I feel so like these models, this is this is how the game is set up. So it's got I, the little miniatures and yeah. the landmarks and you put the, you know, the, the Victorians inside the landmark. Like that is actually how the game is, is set up. So. Which and by the way, when he says that, those are all like these. I'm assuming they're probably going to be wooden meeples. Uh, plastic. Plastic. Yeah. Either way, though, you know, they're shaped kind of like a Victorian. I just feel like it would have a pretty eye popping um, table presence as you're walking by, because not only do you have the money coins, you have all the buildings, um, the cards, again, like the newspaper event cards uh, look like newspapers, have that added history. Like the table presence is just really spot on for this type of game that adds much more pleasantry to it than an economics area majority game, I feel like does. Yeah, I think this is the, the board looks amazing. I, I really love it. You know, Eric usually talks about like filling up the space and mm-hmm. I feel like they did that really well. I don't know if Eric will agree, but I feel like everything looks nice. All the pieces, like all the zones, like make sense in accordance with mm-hmm. the map. Uh, it just looks really good. And I think if I saw this, like I would definitely stop to look. And I, I think at the end, like, yes, the game is over. We have a score, but we've also built something together. Mm-hmm. Like, 
And we have little stories about why things are the way they are. <laughs> yeah. you know? So yeah. like, I, I just, it, I, it looks cool. Yep. I, I agree. Uh, it, it would catch my, I would stop and look at this. It just looks pretty. And I think, yeah, it's good use of all like the space with like still having room for the art. And then what you're adding to the board adds to the art because mm-hmm. you're building up these blank lots and putting yep. things on it. So it's one of those things where like, you know, some games you have like a really nice artboard, but then you put so much stuff on it that it mm-hmm. makes it too busy. You can't see what's underneath. But this it's just designed. So as you add to it, it just makes the board look more and more appealing. So, it, yeah, because uh, yeah. honestly, it looks better with the pieces on it because it gets rid of <laughs> yeah. the little lines, you know? Right. It's yeah. It's like, oh, it's like these dirt lots and now they're just being built on and you have all these nice houses and that's all colorful and things. So, yeah, I uh, it's great. That might be the only thing is like if there's some sort of third party that really makes like really nice wooden Victorian house meeples, mm-hmm. that would just make it even better if it was just oh, like, yeah. like looked more like a real wooden house. But uh, maybe, maybe somebody will do that someday. Uh, maybe. Mechanics Kiwi. Uh, how, how'd you like the, um, the monopoliness? <laughs> so, I mean, it was it wasn't Monopoly, so that was nice. But I, I really did. I mean, it's just it's 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 action selection, right? You got your action points. You spend your actions points and do your selections. And I felt like there was enough of a puzzle there, but there weren't so many options that you felt uh, paralyzed at all. Uh, at least for us, I, I think there might be some analysis paralysis prone folks that might it. There were probably enough that you could do that. Uh, and it gave you enough to like try and think ahead. Um, so, so that was good. I felt. Uh, BP mechanics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Area control. Uh, my only complaint would be that I the ca- the upgrade cards and the action cards felt kind of like an overlap there. And I don't know that they needed both. It kind of felt like too many card types. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think like merge the the action cards in and take them out as like a bonus you get or even an action you can take because i think i'm the only one who did that because there's nothing else to do and i probably should have taken money and then just make those all the the bit the because it makes the business benefits even more important than like upgrading to a business if you get the upgrade and all those are just merged together into a single card type that's really the only complaint and it's not a big one like um rules uh, how is it learning the game? I feel like it was pretty straightforward. There are great um, player cards. And on the board itself has the uh, kind of overview of like, here's what a round consists of. And on your player card, it has here are the things you can do in your round. It's got a round, your action tracker with a extra meeple on it. So I feel like for both like how it is learning it and then as well as um, cards and how clear they are. I just I feel like they really tried to think of everything. I disagree um, a little on the cards. Okay. I think Kiwi had to clarify every card I drew. <laughs> like everyone had a symbol or something on it that or like wording that I think I had to ask for clarification on. But and I, I think that melts into what I talk about with the rule book. I felt like the rule book was very laid out. Well, uh, I was able to quickly find the answer to Eric's questions. Uh, I think 
the one big question I think we talked about, talked it out and it was reasonable was uh, BP's bonus sense. card about adjacency because the way it's worded in the rule book, it's just like if they're nearby, but then there's an area of the board that kind of has like a weird layout. So it can be like they look nearby, but orthogonally, diagonally, you know, how are they actually adjacent? We just came to the conclusion that, yes, they were nearby. Um, they look adjacent. So. Yeah. And then the only thing I actually had to look up was whether what area the peer shop spaces counted as. Mm. And we originally said, oh, I bet it's sand. I did look. That was the only thing outside the rule book that I looked up. The uh, the guy who owns Thunderworks, uh, he had posted the BGG saying, hey, it's on page four. It's in this little diagram. And the diagram does show that they are sand but it doesn't like spell it out specifically. And if you skip over that diagram, you could very easily miss it. And which is what I did. So that, that would be my one complaint about the rule book is that little area. Mm -hmm. um, player interaction. I not terribly interactive. I mean, we are all playing mm -hmm. on the same space. So there's a little bit of that. I think maybe adding in a fourth player would make it even a little bit more competitive for spots. Yep. Um, I don't think, it. Unless there's significant rule changes, I don't know that I'd play with less than three because it kind of the same issue Kate and I had with Terra Mystica, where there's so much board space, you just sort of don't don't. Okay, you go over here. I'll go, you go left. I'll go right, and then we don't interact. I couldn't say I was paying too much attention to what you guys were doing. Uh, so I will say for two players, there are two sides to the board. So we are playing on the three to four player side. Mm -hmm. um, so the two player side. Um, it reduces the amount. It, it of probably options. reduces the number of options. Would be yeah, my guess. I, I still just find once you go to two, it kind of becomes a. I'll go left, you go right. Yeah, I could, but like with Bosque, oh, yeah. like I felt like with with Bosque, like even at two players, it's okay, and that's you know primarily area majority area control. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd be I'd be interested uh, to see like how it played out, uh, and then the other difference is is there's a little bit difference in scoring for the area majority. Mm, uh, bits too. Yeah, bits as well. So uh, it did say in the mechanics that there's a solo. Yeah, and I, it's mostly just hey, uh, you play and then you're uh, trying to beat a score. I'd have to look. Uh, BP on player interaction. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like, yeah, uh, there were several times when after, especially if I was first player and uh, I took my turn, I knew it wouldn't be my turn for mm -hmm. several times and so yeah i got up and took care of the dog and things like that i'd say the most interactive parts were probably when we were having little quips about you know mm -hmm. what your shop doing and yeah which i mean depending on the game like it's not bad it's not bad yeah, yeah, yeah. not a complaint but i do i was expecting it i feel like this is always area majority for me i expect them to be more interactive mm. yeah than they end up being all right uh based on all this would you play it again? Uh, BP. Yes. Especially if I can play it in the real version. I really want to touch the meeples and move them around. But I liked it. Um, again, the the Victorian aspect, the, the cards, the presents. I want birds. <laughs> uh, there was nothing I don't think that I really disliked about it. Apparently, I like economic games. I'm... I'm debating. Okay. For beach game, I'd probably play Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Probably need to play that again, though. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. 
I I do I don't really have I don't really have any complaints. It was it was very pleasant and enjoyable. I I might agree. I'd want to play maybe in person because I think this would be added with a lot of just like table talk about random things. Mm-hmm. And you don't is don't quite get that in the virtual one. So like the, while the game isn't interactive, I think it would be a pleasant game to play and to be interactive while playing because mm-hmm. it doesn't take a whole lot of planning out you can kind of like i kind of knew generally what i wanted to do the next turn and unless an event card or something changed it like i didn't have to do too much planning so that's and then i was kind of just you know waiting for my turn so i think that would be alleviated if if you were actually at the table and you know talking about whatever or stuff like that so yeah. i probably i think yes i was gonna say no at them before i rambled but now i'm gonna say <laughs> yes okay excellent <laughs> kiwi uh i loved it yeah like i read the rules i was like I-, I think this is something i'm going to enjoy and then just watching us like i know it wasn't super interactive but like just watching our little cape may just kind of like build up mm-hmm. and the little stories I-, I think eric's absolutely right like this is a game where you don't necessarily have to put a lot of thought into but i think it's that, pretty let me clarify that because you it is a good puzzle it is a lot right. of the yeah. movement cards sure. and everything but you kind of figure out what you you kind of have where it kind of guides you where you're going to go next. So you don't have to like, it's not like we played Cavern. Yeah. When we played Caverna and it's like, I got to like, I'm studying it. I'm figuring out what right. I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's great. And then I just love the way it looks on the table right now. Like I'm, you know, I'm looking it over and, and I think you're absolutely right. Like having those little, mm-hmm. you know, even plastic wood, whatever, like just watching the town, you know, get bigger and reading the events and learning more about Cape May. Like I, I, it was a fun experience and I really enjoyed it. And I I really liked it. All right. So that was Cape May. So if you have any recommendations of games uh, by Thunderworks or any other publisher that you would like to hear our impressions on, please send them our way. And you can do so via email at firstturntabletop at Gmail. Also Twitter or Instagram, firstturncast. And our podcasting camel as he's walking along the beach, watching that fall bird migration says, please don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. Watch out for the bird poop. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. I mean, nothing's on fire, so we got that going for us. That's true. Now I'm picturing, like, the movie Jaws, but instead of Puffin Goose has showed up to Cape May. Roy Scheider's running around screaming Puffin Goose and nobody believes him. I would, I would watch that. Imlin Physic owned two tenant farms and kept livestock on his estate on Washington Street. He bought and sold a great deal of real estate in Cape May and took an active role in local politics. Some say his ghost lives on. <laughs> and he's scaring away the birds. He's scaring away the birds. So we just a dick ghost. <laughs>